be on Strike out at Mark Trumbo. Launches one out to deep left center field. Deck, are you kidding me? I think what Yep did for me is it gave me confidence that anything that we wanted to really do and we put our minds to, we could do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Young Entertainment Professionals Podcast, where we sit down with the people cultivating the entertainment industry and the influence Yep has had on their music industry community. I'm your host, Libby Ulrich, and today we are talking all about artist management. What does it take to manage an artist and their brand well? And if you are the one looking for a manager, what are the steps you need to take to prepare for that business relationship? Today, we have the co-founder of Yep and artist manager, Mark Rucker, with us. He currently works at Big Loud Management and oversees the day-to-day for country artist, Chris Lane. Mark has worked in almost every area of the music industry, including publishing, and he also has a few side projects that parallel to his role in artist management. We also discuss work fatigue, how to prioritize and set yourself up for success in the busiest as well as the slowest seasons in your work life. We recorded this on a Friday afternoon, so needless to say, no filter in our conversation, which I hope you'll enjoy. Now to our interview with Mark Rucker. Let's jump right in. Um, How did you get to the job that you enjoy every single day? Talk about your background. Oh, man. How much time do we have? I mean... (laughs) Um, I'm going to, I'll try to go as quickly as I can. Yeah. Um, uh, spark notes. Okay. So I came to Belmont. I did uh, a couple of years at Belmont and graduated yeah. from there in 2010. And we were four years apart. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I didn't have any job leads as I was coming right out of college. Like mm-hmm. I, I was very nervous and the day um, the, the week of graduation, I had one job interview and it ended up being a business management office named Huskins Harris. And uh, it was the one job interview I had and they interviewed me and it worked out. And I started doing business management for uh, Chris Young, Jared Neiman, Frankie Ballard, Maggie nice. Rose. And this is in 2010, like right when I graduated. So um, they weren't as far along as they were as they are now. But it, the, my first day was Chris's second number one party. And I was like, wow, I get used to this, you know? <laughs> um, so I was there for a couple of years. And during that time, that's when we had, yep, get started. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, trying to move on from that. Um, Andrew and I had worked together through yep. And he kind of set me up with his boss, John Grady, which moved me over to Crush Music. Mm-hmm. And so I managed over there. I worked with Ashton Monroe and Striking Matches and a guy named Ryan Beaver. And then I just kind of bounced around and then, man, this is such a long story. I'm sorry. No, actually, no, I'm like, I'm enjoying it. It's very um, like, it's easy to follow. So yeah, continue. And then, um, I had an opportunity to start an office, a management office for a company out of LA named Parallel Entertainment. And they asked yeah. me to come over to start their management arm of their Nashville office. So they had a publishing office here and I said, okay. And I took Ryan and, um, I ended up signing Tara Thompson and I had a kid named Alex Hall over there. Alex. Yep. And That's which, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I was doing that for a couple of years. I was there for two years and I, to tell you the truth, I got burnt out and I've told many people the story that I felt like I was in such a deep, um, it, it was still, it was an amazing experience. I just had so much going on mm-hmm. that I wasn't getting I wasn't taking care of myself very well and I probably wasn't the most fun to be around. I probably wasn't very helpful for others. I was, I just wasn't that much fun. And so I was like, you know what? I need to get out of this. 
and I need to, I need to take some time to figure out what I want to do. And so basically from December of last year, this past year to August of this year, I took off. I didn't have, I didn't, I just said, this is what I need to do for me right now. And over that time I had interviewed at several different places and streaming services and just different places that I, I was interested in. At least I thought I was interested in. And during that time I had talked with a lot of people at Big Loud and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've been friends with a lot of these people, people for years and years and years. And one of them, Troy Johnson, and he has been a big, big supporter of mine for a long time. We work actually worked together at the business management office. He was tour managing and I was in the office and, um, but, so I had people in my corner to get over here and it just took a couple of months and ended up over a big loud. And, um, to, to tell you that to the excitement is there. Absolutely. But to tell you like the, I can't even explain to you how amazing it is to work with people that are so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times in music, I feel like you, you find yourself up against the wall and you don't know who to turn to. You can't, you can't figure out, you know, what you need to do or any of that. And here we have so many people that are so good at what they do and it's, um, and it's awesome. And the clients are great. And, uh, I've, I've, like I said, I've, that's how I found the job that makes me excited to get up every morning. So, yeah. yeah. It's a real thing. You can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, really quick before we move forward with that though, can you speak to self-care? And, and kind yeah. of what that means in the music industry. Because, um, I mean, pretty much everyone that works in the music industry knows how much time and work and sacrifice is put into a job. Right. No matter what, what position you're in. Right. So can you speak to, you know, the difference between leaning too much on self-care to the point where you don't, don't work hard. and Right. But also the importance of it. Yeah. Um, I think the way that I would explain that, at least for me, I've realized over time that there are things that I was doing that wasn't that important. They just kept me busy. Mm. I wasn't very productive. Um, and I had to I had to wake up one day and just be honest with myself about what I was doing and why I was doing it. Was I doing it because it was what was best for me? Was I doing it was because I was just just because I was doing it yesterday, so I should do it again today. You know, like when when do you make that decision um that just because you've been doing something for two years or five years or 10 years, or you've been doing it for a week, does that mean you have to continue doing it? And the answer is no. It means every day you should decide this is what I want to do. And if you don't decide that someone else is going to decide that for you, meaning that that self care and all those different things, you, um, you are the one that has to decide that this is what's important to me. So whether it's, you know, working out or church or like your spiritual life or your physical life or any of these different things, um, it's just as important as your work life. Um, and also I found that at least in the past couple of years for me, that if my, my physical self or my, my spiritual self is suffering, my work life tends to go that way too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Um, but that doesn't mean that there, there's there, I I tell people this a lot. There are times where you are so busy with work or you're so busy with certain sides of your life that there's going to be a season where you spend 80 to 85% of your time doing that and 15% of your time in your home life. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be other times of the year where maybe your projects are slowing down or you don't have as much to do where you spend 
85% of your time in your home life and, and caring about yourself. And then you have 15% to work. And so that's never going to be a perfect balance. But right. at the same time, I think realizing that and giving yourself that grace to go, okay, I can take time. I can do this. And one thing that um, my old boss, Grady, always used to say, because he was like, I mean, he was one of the most accomplished dudes I've ever met mm-hmm. in my life. And my first week at the job at Crush, he he took off for vacation, and me and Andrew, Andrew Cohen, were there. And um, I I will never forget this because he, um, he like his vacations are Canadian fishing trips, so he like goes fishing and it's like satellite phones only. And it's like my oh, first yeah. week. One of, of those like, like straight up detox off the grid. Yeah. Type trips. And it was like my first week at this new job. And I'm like, what? Like how, how am I supposed to get in touch with you? He's like, man, you'll be fine. Whatever. And then, <laughs> then he came back and he was like, you know, he's like Rucker, if I can take a vacation, you can take a vacation. And mm-hmm. I think that that to me, I feel like everyone's afraid to take their first vacation because they're like, well, if I miss something or whatever it is, it's like, trust me, it'll be there when you get back. <laughs> like no one's going to die. <laughs> yeah, because like you, trust yeah. me, it'll be fine. It'll still be there. So, yeah. Yeah, and plan ahead. You know, do stuff that would have been done during your vacation time. Totally. Had you not yeah. been and now, you know, vacations are like, I mean, people respect that now, though. So I think it's like, you know, at least for me, like I'll still email and text and all that stuff. Like it's not, I, I, I talk about this a lot, is that our jobs aren't hard work. They're, it's more like emotional labor. So it's like, that's yeah. Like, it's like, it's not like I'm digging a ditch or something and I need time <laughs> off, you know, cause my back's sore or something. It's like, is I, am I willing to put in the time to have that quote unquote, like discomfort of like mm-hmm. taking the time to think Being about on, this? Really? Yeah. And, I know for my job, like right. I have to be on a lot right. of what I do. So, oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And that's why it comes back to like, like I said, like every Sunday I try to like be off because I know that all week for like at least five days, if not the sixth day, Saturday, I have to be really on or I'm traveling or I have something, you know, different going on. Yeah. yeah. And the life we that live. A, that was a very long winded answer. It, Sorry about that. <laughs> we talked through, we got through. It was great. Uh, so management, mm. what led you to that? What led you to managing here at, uh, Big Loud for Chris Lane. Like, how did that relationship develop? The the Big Loud one? I just asked or? like four questions. <laughs> so <laughs> let wow. me backtrack. <laughs> Management. What do you love specifically about that um, role? Yeah. So I I honestly I had this this indication in college that I knew I wanted to do management. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't something that was like, you know, that far away from me. Like I knew I wanted to do it. Um, I think what I enjoy most is digging in to ha- how to build an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in like the, I, 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 lo- I guess the other thing I love about management or just having opportunities to do this is finding new solutions to old problems. And that's across the board, whether it's entrepreneurship or what were the, the Orioles or any of these things. Mm-hmm. I love finding that. That's like my, that's like my moment of like, Oh, this is awesome. You know? <laughs> Um, and so like, just like with any artist, you can, um, I feel like from the management side, I love when you get to work with them and you find, um, different opportunities for them that they've never had. Mm -hmm. Um, you find, um, those diamonds in the rough opportunities that people are like, wait, how did, how did that happen? Or what is this? And I think that that's what makes me go into the management field. Um, I love working with the artists. I love working with creative people. Um, because I'm creative, but in a different way. I yeah. think I compliment them in that in that aspect where 
they'll come to me with a song and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then I'll come to them with an idea to partner with bird. And they're like, what? Like we can do that. And I'm like, yeah, like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And like, so those are the types of things that I feel like it, we're very similar in that aspect. And then on the flip side of that, we have two completely different backgrounds that we're both good at. Nice. Yeah. And uh, specifically about Chris Lane's. Yeah. So brand. about his brand, his brand. Well, and how y'all met. Yeah, so what's funny is that... <laughs> probably two different stories. But yeah, yeah, well, his so um, what's interesting is, like I said, I came over to Big Loud um, and met with met with the team over here. And, um, and Troy Johnson, I want to make sure I say his name so he knows that he's properly thanked. He's mm-hmm. an amazing human being. Thank you, now, Troy. He, um, no, he, he had set me up with Chief and Seth and... Um, we had talked about me coming in to manage a different artist actually. And for about a month, um, I was planning on doing that. And, um, after I came back in to, you know, kind of finalize everything, um, Mm -hmm. they were like, actually, we think we're going to put you with Chris. I was like, all right, cool. And so, and they were like, but we, we want to fly to Minneapolis to go to a show to, you know, make sure that everything's cool. You guys hang and you guys get a good vibe. And I'm like, all right, perfect. So literally that, that was like on a Monday and that Friday I flew to Minneapolis with them, um, hung out. We had a great time. Um, we got to do a lot of stuff with Chris there. We got to go to radio visits, different mm-hmm. things. And so it obviously it went well. Um, and so my relationship with Chris started that day. And so it's only been about two and a half months now, but honestly, like I feel like I, I, f- I feel really accepted and, the cool thing about Chris is me and him have very similar backgrounds. We're both from very small towns. Mm. Um, great parents, you know, but he, he was an athlete. He was a college baseball player. So was I. Um, that comes full circle. Yeah. Right. Well, With the <coughs> Orioles consulting, right. which we'll get to later. Yeah. But. but no, so he was a college baseball player and he got hurt and he couldn't play anymore. And so same with me. And then. Um, and then the reason he started playing guitar was he saw Keith Urban's video, uh, DVD, uh, living right now. And that's why I started playing music. And I was like, <laughs> what? That's no so way. crazy. And so we just started talking about all, you know, our backgrounds and it's been, like I said, it's just been a really amazing relationship. Um, and, uh, to me, I guess the best thing for any manager is that they trust you. And I think by showing how much background we have in common, it really kind of goes, wow, like. We, we, like he gets me and I get mm-hmm. him, you know, and it, and obviously there's these, you know, things that we have to figure out over time, but you know, right now it feels really great and really healthy. And you know, what, what timing would you recommend that someone would start looking for a manager, whether they're, cause obviously if they're signed, they're going to have, have right. someone, but, um, do you recommend any point that someone should, is prepared enough to develop that kind of relationship? Yeah, I think, Um, I, I think from my perspective, if you are an artist, um, and you think you need a manager, the, the manager you want will find you very rarely. Will you go out and meet somebody and ask them to manage you that they, they don't already know about you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say that, um, like I said, I, I do think that artists, there's a lot of people that want to do it early because they feel like they can just get help and all these different things. But <clears throat> I think it, <clears throat> for me, <clears throat> sorry, water, <laughs> water, water. No, I think for me, um, I want to say that management 
does not create your career. It only elevates it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) so, so, and a lot of people come to managers Mm -hmm. early, they feel like they're going to get so many opportunities out of just signing with a manager, which there are those opportunities that come in. Obviously it's our goal to do that. Mm -hmm. However, our goal also is to start off in a good position. And so I would say for any artist, you should come in ready to go. You should be selling tickets. You should have music out. You should be really being your own entrepreneur. Um, I talk about that a lot with people like artists need to relearn what being a quote unquote artist is Mm -hmm. because nowadays all the tools that everyone has right now are out there. Like you can, you can go find your fans. Like it was it's not like 30 years ago where not everybody had a computer or a cell phone or any of these things. Mm -hmm. Like they, they didn't know where to find their fans. Now you can literally go out, you can look at your Spotify, you look at your social numbers, you can go, Oh, I have a thousand fans in Knoxville, Tennessee, or I have a thousand fans in West Virginia. Well, how did that happen? I don't know, but maybe you should go play a show there. You know? Um, so all the tools are in front of you. It's just your decision if you're going to do it or not. Yeah. And I feel like I meet a lot of artists or talked with a lot of people that they, 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 they want to do it, but they don't. And to me, it comes back to being honest with yourself and being honest with, are you doing everything you possibly can to be a successful artist? Exactly. I, I think, you know, some of the songwriters and artists that I know that even started out feeling a little intimidated with the whole social media um, arena, for example, they ended up trying it out, you know, kept working at it. And now they're like some of the best marketers of their own brand. Like, right. You know? So I think that that kind of gives you prep of what works, what doesn't. Right. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. It's uh, what is it? The quote is a moment. Momentum is easy. Starting is hard. Mm. Start with the simplest step. Yeah. And so it's basically to me, just like with anything, just start. And yeah, you're going to mess it up. And it's okay. I promise. No one is going to get mad at you. Like everything's going to be fine. Like I promise. Just start and see what happens. And um, like there's nothing more important than like finding your first 100 fans. Because as soon as you find those 100, they tell 100 other people. And then you tell, then, then they tell the next 100 people. And it slowly builds, but like, I feel like everyone concentrates on the first million fans and it's like, I'm going to try to get in front of all these people. And it's like, okay, that's great. And that's a great goal to have. However, if you start with a hundred, you can get to the 150, you can get to 500, you can get to a thousand. Or like this pressure of like, I got to be verified on Instagram with like in a month. And it's like, no, like just let it do its thing. Right. Right. Yeah. No, totally. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think peer pressure or just anything like that where it's like you're basing your success off of somebody else's right. I- idea of you. Um, that can be really uh, detrimental to not only to your creative craft, but also to um, how you see yourself as a person. Like if you put, and they talk about self-care, um, if you put your worth on what you do, you will always be like behind. Mm -hmm. And I spent so much time being like, well, I need to be like this manager. I need to be this. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's been, it's been a thing where, I mean, just like anything in in Nashville or music, it's like, Oh, that's so-and-so's manager. It's not, Oh, that's Mark, you know? And so that's what I would say for a lot of people, like try not to put so much pressure on yourself, um, to just be 
you know, this super successful person right out of the gate. Yeah, because no one starts out that way. Well, no one starts out having it all yeah. figured out. No. Yeah. It's a day-to-day thing. So speaking of day-to-day, <clears throat> what is your day-to-day like? What is your mm. week-to-week like? Is that a better? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it really depends um, on um, just kind of travel schedules and shows and stuff. I mean, like I was telling you about my week before this, I was spent three days in L.A. We had a show out there, had press days, um, worked out of our office out in L.A., and then I flew back and worked in the office. And working in the office is, you know, phone calls and emails um, setting up for the next several weeks or months. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously in the next couple of months, which I don't know when this is up, but CMA week is coming up. And so we are prepping pretty hard for that week. I mean, we have so much going on with every artist. And, um, you know, and today um, we released a hot country piece for Chris. And so there's so much going on at any point. It's just constantly communicating with our different teams, whether it's marketing or it's radio or it's publicity Mm, or all these different pieces. And so every day I'm spending time communicating with them. So... What what do you wish other industry professionals in media, PR, or anyone that's reaching out to you for something regarding Chris knew? I would say for me, what I, I want people to know about management is that every time we take on a project, it's like a it's like a three to five year project. It's like a life cycle for us. It's not a project. because um, mm-hmm. when we take on an artist, we take on a on like working with them throughout their lives, whether it's their personal life, their work life, all these different things. So I have right now I have one client. All my focus is spent on that. So to me, I I mean, I just want people to know that that's how intense and focused that we are over here to building this client. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that other people have 15, 20, 30 clients and uh, in the agency world or in the pub or the, the publicity world is just different stuff. And so, um, so for me and knowing that, um, I try to keep them aware of everything that we're doing all the time. Um, so that, that Chris is always at the top of their mind. Um, mm-hmm. because I think that that is more important than, um, you know, anything. I mean, them, th- they need to know, all this stuff all the time because right. I'm living it. I'm living in this at every moment. They might see it, you know, once every few days because they have all these other things going on, which is great for them. But the way that management's set up is that we are intensely focused on this one artist or these two artists or these yeah. five clients that we have around, you know, we have 15 employees and we have five clients, you know? So it's like, we are spending so much time developing yeah. them and pushing them out. And you're probably working with a lot of other people <clears throat> on these said press days. Oh yeah. Show, I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people involved in anything right. that we do. Um, you know, anytime you have a show, you not only do you have obviously the touring crew and, and the artists and all these different people that are on the road, but you have the bus, you have the mm-hmm. pub, uh, the publicity team that's helping promote the show. You have the promoter, you have, um, the business manager who needs to make sure that everything is paid. You have the merchandise guy, you have the merchandise manager, you have all these different pieces that you're trying to put together. Um, but when they come together and you have great people, like it's so worth it. And it's actually the most enjoyable experience. Do you feel like Yep was a huge part of that? What Yep did for me, and we can talk about like 
I know you, you're going to ask me about successes and failures and things let's, like that. Let's which, just talk about it right now. You know, because I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, there was quite a few. <laughs> but I think what Yep did for me is it gave me confidence that anything that we wanted to really do and we put our minds to, we could do it. Um, not a lot of people get those opportunities in their lives to have um, their friends to do it with or, or like colleagues or this different stuff. So they'll get, they'll get it from their job or, or whatever it is. Um, but for me, it came through this organization that, you know, we were just making stuff as we making stuff up as we went along. Like yeah. we did, we didn't know, um, we didn't know half the stuff we were doing. We just <laughs> thought it would be fun, <laughs> you know? And here we are and here's a podcast. Yeah. And here's a podcast. Yeah. And, I mean, there's still so many things that I, I, I think we could be doing, but you know, and I, I mean, I just, there, I just love what it's turned into because it's been such a amazing, funny thing to watch because again, like those things and anyone that's ever started anything that's lasted for more than a couple of mm-hmm. years. And the, I mean, everybody that's listening, you can, you can ask this person, most of them will go, I had no idea it was going to turn into that. <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea that this was going to happen like that. And that's what I feel like with Yep. When we started, I remember, you know, me and Andrew, um, you know, sitting around talking about different, you know, event ideas or just different things that we could do. And, you know, we did we did one that was, it's, I don't know, if, again, this t- talking about those those moments where you're like, I don't know if we should have done that. But we did live band karaoke. And we had, that sounds so fun, though. It was so much fun, but <laughs> like everyone, it was it ended up being like, like our 50 closest friends and then like our friends were in the band and it was at the accident and we just had a blast, but it ended up being something we kept doing because it wasn't great for the members. Like we had not, everyone could get up on stage. It was not like a thing, you know? And so we ended up realizing that like there, there were moments that we, um, youth and inexperience uh-huh. hurt us, but there was also a lot of great moments where our youth and experience made us go, well, maybe we should try that. And because nobody else had done it and we did it. And now it's like a mainstay. And no know? one was telling you no, really. No, no. Kind of- yeah, totally. No one was telling us no. And yeah, we, uh, I mean, you know, for me, I think, you know, one of the biggest successes we had, and like I said, this, the, the like this event that, I mean, it gave me the confidence in everything that I could ever do would be amazing. But mm-hmm. uh, we did a Billy Block benefit and I don't know if anybody knows Billy Block, but Billy, was a big um, radio um, host here in Nashville, and he also hosted like a show. Um, it's kind of like a whiskey jam before whiskey jam, that type of thing. And Billy developed cancer. Um, this is probably I don't know, this is probably three or four years ago, and he ended up passing um, to cancer. But we did a benefit for him and his family, and through Yep, and at the um, at the request of our boss and our one of our advisory board members, John Grady, who's yeah amazing human. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And I was like, I'll take the lead on it. And we worked so hard to get donations in and do all this stuff, um, to, to promote around it. So we ended up, you know, getting a bunch of artists mm-hmm. involved. We had like, um, FGL had played a stage before and they donated Luke Bryan, Chris Young, Miranda Lambert, Keith Urban, like all these people had played a stage. So it was easy to reach out to them mm-hmm. and then go, Oh my God, I'd love to help Billy and his family. And so like everything we'd ever done as far as like benefits before that, we would raise like $2,500 or maybe five grand or something like that and donate, which is great. But our goal for this, I set it 
really high. And I actually, I did an interview with the Nashville scene and this is like my first time like doing like an interview where I was yeah. like, Oh, they're going to actually listen to what I say. And um, record it and probably <coughs> write about it. Right. Yeah. And they, <laughs> I was, and then, so basically we did this interview and promoting it and talking about it. Me and Billy were doing it together because he was still alive then and yeah. amazing. He's a great human, but he, um, but they asked me after the, after the interview, we were still on the phone, but they're like, all right, so that was cool. Like, you know, like anything else, you know, whatever. And I was like, man, like they were like, so what's your goal to like raise for this? And I was like, man, my goal is to raise $50,000. And they printed that. And I, I will never forget the day. Cause I went to Andrew and I was like, Oh shit. Like we have to raise 50 <laughs> grand. <laughs> it's written. It's written it's now. It's out there. Everyone and knows. Yes. And it, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, it's, you, you never want to bite off more than you can chew, especially like way too much, but mm-hmm. it was, it actually helped push it even say. further. So yeah. I think the day of the show, we had already raised like 35 grand. And then by the time the end of the show hit, it was like at 45. And then right after the show, like the day later, we were up to like 60. It ended up being like this amazing night. And I mean, it just the to me, again, it, like the what that event and what Yep had, had done for me was give me the confidence that like anything that you really want to do, just go do it. And I mean, especially when you're doing it to help others, like even on the smallest level, you don't have to raise 50 grand. You could raise 2,500. You could, you could do it for free. You could not do anything. I mean, I just feel like it, it gave me that, that oomph that I needed to go. Yeah, I can do this. Well, that's crazy. You just brought, brought up that story because Rocky was on our last episode. Right. And that's, I actually saw that on the Instagram. I was like, what? That's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So this will be a good follow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, so how have you used those successes or how did you use those successes to fuel the growth of Yep? Well, I think the, the successes, um, I was saying, I was looking at the notes earlier. We were talking about, um, kind of why Yep worked Yeah. to start with. And like, I think it's just like with anything that, <laughs> that is new, um, people don't realize that like before Yep, there wasn't really like a place to like, like there wasn't an organization doing mixers. So like, how did you meet people? Mm-hmm. You know, you just met them at tin roof or at winners or losers or red door. Like that was it. Um, there was no like industry mixer that 22 year olds could go to. It was always like you had to be in solid. That was, you know, it's, it's a little bit older and it's got, um, you know, membership and different things that you have to be a part of mm-hmm. or, you have to know someone who's a part of a record label or something that invites you to their hang. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with Yep, um, it, it ended up working because we were offering something that people like Nashville needed that and, yeah. and Nashville, the Nashville environment could actually sustain it. It was really cool. Um, but I think that the successes really helped us kind of hone in on what our members wanted us to do. Um, I, I mean, we've spent so much time in meetings. We had a monthly meeting, I mean, every month for uh, three or four years. I mean, we'd all get together. Still do. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Well, <laughs> for me now, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not on the, the day to day of it, but I, it's, it's one of those things that I, yeah. um, I, I think it helped hone in on the, the important things that we need to be focusing on, which is our members and seeing them react to what we're doing. And when they buy tickets to our rewind shows or, when they request, oh man, I need more. I would love if you guys had more educational things going on or things like that. Like we wanted to make sure that we were listening to them. Um, and I think by, you know, a success, we knew, oh, we need to do another one of those. We need to keep doing this, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about failures. 
Let's do it. Success. Let's just do it. Let's do it. What? Oh. what? <laughs> uh, a failure that you look back and how it helped you get to where you are right now. Because, like, I don't ever like to look back honestly and say I'm glad that happened. Right. Because, like, I mean, realistically, no, I would have rather not. Right. But, you know. Right. That makes sense? Yeah, no, totally. Cool. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time over the last few years. I, I have an entrepreneurial um, spirit. I can't help it. I get ideas and I want to run with them, mm-hmm. whether it's in music or not. And so... I've had multiple failed experiments, <laughs> yeah. um, starting businesses and doing different things that, that, uh, ended up not working out. Um, but I would say just as far as like failure and success, like I, I had said earlier that I had got burnout over the past year and I needed to take some time off. I also had had to change my relationship with the success and failure, um, the way that the way that everyone should please not the way the way that I look at it now, yeah, I want to speak for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that I look at it now, the way that I know that if I'm going to be successful or not is to say that I'm giving my best effort, and I know it. I know I'm giving my best effort. Yeah. And when I'm not, and I'm really honest with myself, and I'm not, I know that I could do better. That's when I feel like I've failed in a, in some degree or another, meaning like. Um, maybe like you can't control numbers. You can't control if people react to what you're doing or you can't Mm -hmm. control if people buy your tickets or that you can't control if people stream your stuff. But what you can control is that you're putting in your best effort to get in front of them and give them music that they're looking for and find your audience. And Mm -hmm. and even from the management standpoint, you're doing your best to, to actually do that. And the only, like I said, the only person that's going to know if you're actually giving your best effort to be successful is you. It's not your boss. You're, I mean, your boss is going to know what the numbers look like. They're going to go, oh, well, we need to see what's the difference. Why, why, are we, why is this not working? Or right. it's not your girlfriend or your spouse or your business partner. It's you. You get to go home. You go home to yourself and you're like, be honest with yourself and go, am I actually giving my best effort to make this a success? And um, so I would say that there has been times in the past where I know I didn't give my best effort. And it's one of those things where you, when you look back, you're frustrated with yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily because you don't want to, but maybe for me, I just, there was times where I bit off more than I could chew. Mm-hmm. And, um, or responding. Like I know for me, it's usually come from responding to burnout in the wrong way. Yeah. And I, you know? and I, well, and I, yeah, totally. And I think, and this, I, I've, I've said this a couple of times, but I feel like it's so true. You have to be honest with yourself about where you are. Um, you have to be empathetic as to what others are looking for from you and what you, you're looking for from them. Like you can't expect others to do work for you. You can't expect others to do so many favors for you until you're at a level where it, it makes sense. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, I just got to a point where, you know, just burnout set in and I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, but I, not in a way of like, you know, um, you know, I was, you know, detrimental to anything, but at the same time, like I know that I had, it's almost like, you know, it's like a football reference, like leave it all in the field, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I, I really try to do with everything. And when you try to do that with everything, yeah, something's not going to work. Right. So that's been a, that's been a constant balancing act for myself for the last few years. What would you say to the young entertainment professional who's maybe going through a season where, 
they feel a little, they're not quite sure if they're in the right area of the industry. Mm-hmm. And they're still trying to figure that out. Right. Because I know for me that I was at a place yeah. like that before. I think um, for, for, for everyone out there that's trying to figure out what they want to do, um, the best advice I could give you is just to start somewhere and don't overthink it um, and realize that you're not going to have it figured out from day one. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I promise. Um, I've bounced around. I've thought about joining a bunch of different places, even in the past couple of years. Um, I've thought about going into the label world or the streaming world or the creative world or any, any of these different places, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So what I do know is that I'm really good at what I do. Not saying that in a, in a way of like, look at me. But I, what I do know is that I'm able to offer something to artists mm-hmm. that is valuable. Mm-hmm. And everyone is great at something. Find out what you're great at and go for it. Yeah. Quote. <laughs> she could have seen the look on <laughs> There it is. When you finish, that's funny. It's great. No, I totally agree. I was talking to a few people because they were like, man, like you're really well connected. Like how do you how do you get so connected with people? And I, this, I started doing this in college. Um, I literally, which I don't have anymore. I don't do it anymore, but I literally had an Excel spreadsheet that said like their name, their email, their number, whatever information I got from mm-hmm. them, what we talked about the day I saw them and the last time I saw them, the last time I contacted Whoa, them. That's... Yeah. The reason I did that was because I didn't have anything to offer them. It wasn't like I was going to email them and say, Hey man, like I would love to work with you on this or whatever it was. It was more, I would email them articles from like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal that talked about something that we had talked about so that they were like, man, he was paying attention. That's cool. And I would send them and I know that they'd be interested in it. So I would recommend to anybody out there that feels like they don't know what to say when they email somebody, you don't just have to ask for a coffee or a drink. You can always email something that maybe you talked about that you can tell that they're interested in it. Um, And so that's really helped me. And then, um, I, real quick, I like good. that you said that about having something to offer. Yeah. Because I think I, I think some people who want to be in entertainment, who want to be a songwriter, artist, whatever role that may be, it, it's more about what you can offer them rather than what they can give you. Or think right. more about, yeah. Absolutely. And that's 100%. And it's it, as soon as you start thinking that way, it's it's you end up getting more out of um, more out of your relationships and your opportunities. It's like, what can right. I give to them as opposed to what they can offer me? Mm-hmm. And be empathetic. And I've used that word a couple of times. Have empathy and realize what the people that you're reaching out to are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I try to, I, I mean this is goes back to a, a Gradyism that was, we call it a uh, John Gradyism. Um, but he would always tell us, um, if I have time to meet with college students, so mm-hmm. do you. Um, and he's like, you never know, they could be your boss one day. And so for me, I try to meet, I try to meet with as many people that reach out to me as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's really difficult. Some seasons, like I said, seasons are more busier than others. So, um, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to to um, tell people like, yeah, I'm looking for a gig. Don't don't be afraid to do that stuff. Um, it's much easier to have those six to ten seconds of 
uh, that uncomfortable moment where you're going to ask them like, Hey man, if you know of anything, you know, whatever, then to leave and then go, man, I really wish I would have, I would have asked them that. <laughs> All right, right. You know, like that was resi- <laughs> like, you were like, Oh man, I like, I can't believe I didn't say anything. Um, because I've been there before and it's much easier to just go through that than right. to wait till you get home and then go, damn, I should have did that. Um, but I was going to say like, as far as relationship building, um, I had, I was telling this story earlier and they were like, Oh my God, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I feel like I need to share it. I, um, so I worked with this guy named Brian Beaver. He was yeah. an amazing singer songwriter, an amazing guy. I love him. He's one of my best friends. He's and great. We, um, I got him this direct TV audience network shoot. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was when we, he had no label. He had, I think at the time he was publisher free too. So we were basically, I mean, it was just me and him just working it and working his record IRX that came out in 2016. And I had this relationship with this video director that did, um, freelance stuff for direct TV. And I met him in 2012 mm-hmm. And literally from the day I started working with Ryan, I would send this director a basically a highlight email every month of Ryan Beaver, what he was doing and when he was doing it and all that, just so that he was aware. Sometimes I would get responses, sometimes not. But for 12 times a year, this guy would hear from me. And then we ended up catching a beer. And then the next year, we caught a, uh, caught a dinner. And then the next year, he was like, hey, man, I actually think I might have something for your guy, Ryan Beaver. I'm like, okay, cool. It took us like four months to get it set up, but it ended up being this like huge direct TV look where they paid for everything. Like they made it this amazing, amazing like piece for Ryan. And for me, I just want people to know that just because something doesn't happen right away, doesn't mean it won't happen. So continue to reach out. Don't be afraid of being told no, because you are going to be told no a lot. Like get comfortable with that. And that's okay. No doesn't mean no forever. No means no right now. Like it's okay. Um, and so I would just say again, like building relationships takes time mm-hmm. and you never know what they'll turn into. Like, like I said, with, with John, a guy I met at a dinner and now I'm kind of working with him in an aspect that they have never done before. So they asked me for advice and I just think that's the coolest thing. Um, for me, it's, it's very exciting and it's just it's new and different. So, and be able to look back and see, how over time all of those relationships have come together yeah. slowly, you know? <clears throat> right. And, and like, to be honest, like uh, the, the guy that helped get me the job here at Big Loud, I've known him for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that, you know, at the, the streaming service that I had talked with several times, um, I had worked with them on projects five years ago. So to know that, I think it's basically, it's like, you know, people have that phrase, like don't burn bridges or whatever it is. To me, it's like build as many strong Mm -hmm. bridges as you can because you never know where they're going to come back. Um, You never know who's going to come to you in a couple years and be like, man, like I love what we did on this project together. Like maybe they never said it to you in person. Maybe they never said it to you like you did such a good job, but they come back to you and they're like, man, we really want to, you know, bring you in. Like maybe want to hire you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, really? You know, like (laughs) that's the type of thing that I feel like it's really easy to look at a relationship and be like, well, I mean, maybe in like a year I can get like, you know, something out of this. But like, what if you're thinking like five years in advance or 10 years in advance? Yeah. You know? It's all about timing. Yeah. Yep. Cool deal. Uh, really quick side projects. Orioles yeah. consulting. 
Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not right. so weird when I listed it, read it like that. But you consult for the Orioles, and then you also work with a distribution line. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> yes, uh, man. Well, uh, so again, my where I I said earlier, one of my favorite things is to find new solutions to old problems. Yeah. So uh, the Orioles, I had met John Angelos, who's mm-hmm. the president and CEO of the Orioles, at a dinner about five, six years ago. And I was traveling with Ashley Monroe. We were out with Train, and we were just having Casual. dinner. It, yeah, it was cool. Um, but we were doing, like, this TV thing out there, mm-hmm. and I sat next to this guy. I, didn't know, I had no idea who he was, and I was with Ashley, mm-hmm. and we had been traveling together for, like, three weeks, and I was like, God. I don't want to, I, we don't have anything left to talk about. So I'm going to talk to this guy and we had the best time and, and we ended up talking and we shared info. And when he handed me his card, it was John Angelo's president, CEO of the Baltimore Orioles. And I was like, what? Like this, that's awesome. You know, and, cause I grew up playing baseball and I was such a big fan of just sports in general. Like yeah. I just, I'd just never been exposed to it. And so we kept up a relationship and we've become really close friends. I, was at their wedding and you know, all these different things. I was able to, you know, be a part of their lives over the past five, six years. And, um, so John had asked me to basically, they, they do this event in Sarasota and mm-hmm. their spring, tra- spring training facility. Um, and he had asked me to attend and I was like, sure. And then he started asking me like, what, what do you think about this? How, how would you do this? And, um, over the last couple of years, we've developed a relationship where I've just been more or less just giving him, ideas and feedback on what I think and what I see. And, um, and then now we're actually starting to put that into the actual ballpark at Camden Yards in in Baltimore. And so we're talking about, I mean, they're talking about, you know, building out different, like a stage there and Mm -hmm. and they were doing more pregame shows and postgame shows. We're talking about doing like a big blowout stadium concert there. Mm -hmm. And it's been such a cool experience for me to get involved with them. And, you know, they've become really close friends and, um, like a part of their family and it's been really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the, the Orioles. It it literally is this relationship that I've just kept up for a long time. Um, which I can speak more to that too. (laughs) Um, but, um, and as far as the, um, distribution business, uh, I, I, my family is an amazing family. They, they have done some amazing things that when, you know, I'm sure everyone has a family out there that they're just like, I don't understand what you do, but you know, it's cool right now. But, um, when I was growing up, I'm from a very small town in Southern Illinois and my parents have a candy distribution company. Nice. And so they've been doing it's like a family business they've been doing. It's literally called Rucker's Candy. So <laughs> That's a good that's a good name for a candy company. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um but they distribute for like Bass Pro, Gander Mountains, Cabela's, um Atwoods, Runnings, Rule King. Like they have like 3500 stores nationwide. Like insane, nice. insane. And they're just their distribution model is they um actually have reps that go in at every store and they actually put it in there themselves. They don't just ship it to the store and say, Hey, you put it up, you know? So they've got a really cool service that a lot of people love. Um, and a couple years ago I was thinking, I was like, again, finding new solutions to old problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, I was like, man, like why, why are our sales numbers? So like, so it's so interesting to me when you see like Walmart and target and all these places saying like, Oh, we're taking CDs out. People aren't buying them. And I was like, Oh, well, I wonder if, I wonder what our, our numbers are like in the country music industry, you know? Yeah. 
And so I started doing some more research on it. And we're actually 30, 33%, 34% of all of country music revenue still comes from physical sales. What is that? Because I was going to ask you at some point, what do you what do you think that says about country music fans? I think it says to me that they are, I, I, I just like any technology, um, the middle of the country is usually pretty late to it or later to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could go home. I, mean, I can go home to Illinois and mm-hmm. Lord, I did this over this past, the, not this year's Thanksgiving because it hasn't happened yet, but last year's Thanksgiving. I was talking to some friends about on-demand streaming. They're like, what's that? I'm like, well, have you ever heard of Spotify? They're like, no. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how do you, and they're my age. Like, I'm like, dude, like, it's not like you're 50. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, not against 50 year olds, but I'm just saying like, it was, it was astonishing to me. Even young people struggle to get things. Um, it's interesting. So what I found with it is that there's still this ownership type, um, of mentality in the middle of the country, which is great. Um, to me, it shows that they want to buy a physical product. They don't, I mean, yes, they have certain things that they do that are, you know, digital mm-hmm. things, but if they, if they, there's an option for physical product, they'll go for it. Um, and so basically in, in kind of wrapping this all up, I went to my parents and I was like, why don't we try to put some of these CDs in these stores and see what happens? And again, this was two years ago, Right. And so we met with Bass Pro, we met with Cabela's, we met with some of these people and they're like, I don't really know. I don't really know. Are you guys selling anything yet? Are you guys doing anything yet? And I'm like, no, we haven't started yet. Mm-hmm. Haven't started yet. And they're like, well, just come back to us when you have some numbers. And we're like, well, oh God, all right, we'll, we'll figure something out. And so this past year, um, I flew up to Minneapolis when I, the same weekend I was going to meet with Chris. Yeah. Um, they had a big trade show in Minneapolis, same time, which is random. I believe in synchronicity. So I was like, this is meant to be, I'm supposed to be here. Um, but I stuck around with my parents and we met with the owners of some of these stores and I got five chains to give us 10 test stores. Um, so we're going to have 50 stores. We're in 32 right now. And I was just telling you before that, um, in one of those chains, we have 12 stores and we just sold over $10,000 worth of CDs in about 60 days. So when people tell me like, oh, do you think it's going to work? I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've got like Warner has agreed to, to let us use some of their products. Sony's jumping on board um, and Universal's on board. So it's been really cool to kind of develop some of these relationships just to see if it works and test out well. Um, but like I said, we're starting off in these 50 and my parents have a distribution network of 3,500. So I'm hoping that we can continue to grow where even if we get to hundred stores and I'll be happy with that because again, it's finding a solution to the problem of, um, fans finding music. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you know, as, uh, again, as, as people believe that with Walmart and Target and Best Buy taking CDs out, um, that they're going to die and that's just, that's just the end of it. But I think for me, it's looking at it and going, okay, who's walking in and out of, Best Buy, Walmart, and Target. Right. Like, the great thing for me is I can be so much more targeted with country music in Bass Pro. I can be so much oh, more targeted to, to country music in these outdoor farm and country stores. They're, like, in Walmart or Target, you have to have the top 200 titles because you don't know what people are going to buy. Your demographic's way too wide. And so it, that's been a really good calling card for us to say, we are, we're only going to have, like, 10 to 12 CDs in there at, at, at any, any point. That's it. And... We're fine with it. And like our top sellers right now are Moral Haggard and Johnny Cash. 
So it's nice. a really funny little niche thing that I feel like we're starting. And so we'll see what happens with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on the creativity that goes into your day-to-day manager role and what you most enjoy about it? Um, so my closing thoughts on... Your closing thoughts or just a closing quote. On my day-to-day management? Yeah. Because um, you said you like to be creative. You like to be around creative people. So I believe that management is a culmination of a bunch of different sides of the industry. So when a lot of, I get, I meet a lot of young people that want to be in management. Um, they talk to me about how, how do they get started? Mm -hmm. And my literal advice is just, just go, just start. Because to me, you have to be well-versed in, in a lot of different sides of the industry. That's why you see a lot of guys that are older that are typically the best management, um, teams, um, because they have a lot of experience dealing with, um, all, all different sides because everything comes to you as a manager, um, the business manager, the publicist, the publisher, like all these deals, all these marketing deals, these social media deals, like it all comes to you. Like it doesn't, you can't just like ship that out to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, um, you have to be able to a teach yourself things yeah, and B you have to have experience doing them. And the best way to get experience is either A, to do it yourself, or B, read about somebody else doing it. So um, I guess my, my my closing thought would just be, if you want to be an artist management, just get started. And don't worry about having it all figured out from day one, because you won't. It'll change. It'll be hard. Um, it'll be difficult. You'll be mm-hmm. in a grind, but it'll be worth it. For sure. For sure. Well, this has been fun. You know, I, I was hoping it'd be fun. It's like, what is he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. Is he? <laughs> uh, no, I was hoping it would be fun. And yeah, uh, yeah no, I had a blast. Same. Um, I feel Where like. Where can people follow you on social? Are we allowed to say that publicly? Are you public with your social media? Uh, actually, you not what's, no, I, I mean, I don't care. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rucker 7 What's up? <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, man, I don't, I don't really have anything else. I don't think. Um, well, it was great. Yeah. Did a great job. Thanks. Killed it. Thanks for starting. Yep. Yeah. Well, otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this (laughs) podcast. That's true. That's true. Well, I'm glad that you uh, are doing the podcast. I actually have been begging Amelia for a while that we need a podcast. And so, because again, like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm like, again, like, I feel like it's such a good medium for people to, to learn. And to get connected. Yeah. And to connect and all that. But, uh. Cool deal. Cool. Well, this is great. Thanks for joining us, I talked a long time. I'm very sorry. No, that's good. This is a lot of content. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of stories. Well, I'm just trying to get as many of those coaster quotes as I can. So spread them out all over the U.S. Yes, that's put what them we in a did. CD and Bass Pro. Oh my gosh! That, I mean, if, actually, I wouldn't hate that. Yeah, Josh is not in his head. He knows. He's in. He's in. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm gonna go to Red Door. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> that's not. That's not. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Young Entertainment Professionals Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Yep Nashville. We'll be releasing updates about our end of the year rewind show very, very soon. It is happening November 29th at the Basement East. You do not want to miss this. Before we go, do not forget to send in your milestones, accomplishments, and good news to successstories at yepnashville.com. 
We'll be incorporating those into our episodes at some point in the series very soon. Until next time, discover, cultivate, accelerate.